0: What is up, everyone? Before we get into this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, the African Students Association from the University of Notre Dame for sponsoring us, and let's hear a bit more about what they have to say about their Pan-African Youth Conference, which will be happening in March.
1: Kwame Nkuruma, Julius Nyerere, Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. The historic mission of that first generation of African leaders was to liberate Africa from the throngs of colonialism and imperial domination. Thomas Sankara, Yoweri Museveni, Jerry Rawlings. The historic mission of the second generation of African leaders was to consolidate the gains from independence and to set Africa on the path to socio-economic transformation. As the current generation of young Africans, we too are faced with an important task of first, discovering what our historic mission is as a generation, and secondly, deciding whether to fulfill or betray that mission. Thus, The African Students Association of the University of Notre Dame will host a virtual edition of the Pan-African Youth Conference, which will bring together a Pan-African network of university students from Africa and across the world. Participants at the conference will grapple with four critical questions that are pertinent to our understanding of our historic mission as a generation. One, who are we as Africans? Where are we as a continent? How did we get here? and most importantly, where and how do we go from here? The conference will feature a keynote address from one of contemporary Africa's foremost thought leaders, Professor Achille Mbembe from the University of Cape Town. We invite you to be part of a Pan-African network of young Africans seeking to discover the historic mission of our generation and to fulfill it. Africa needs you. Will you answer the call?
0: To register for this event, Follow the link in my bio, on my Instagram, or my TikTok. Let's get right into the episode. Uh, I've been waiting to do this podcast for a while, and this is going to be the sort of second edition in what a series of episodes that I plan to call Connecting the Colonial Experience. So as, as you know, a lot of the world, majority of the world, I'm assuming, is actually, has been colonized. And that's obviously by European powers, mainly European powers. We've had people who have been taken away from their lands. Some people, it's just been a totally different experience. Last time we interviewed someone who was an indigenous Australian and they told us their perspective and their relationship with land, et cetera. And today we do have someone who is part of the Native American community. Amari, would you just like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about yourself?
2: I am um, part of the Cherokee Nation as well as I am Chippewa, part of the Chippewa tribe, and I am Blackfoot. I live in the Virginias, but most of my family is from the Carolinas and Ohio, West Virginia, part of that nation. So uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you, and i'm I'm so, so excited to actually get this podcast going because I've never actually considered making the link, but between, for example, you know, African narratives and, you know, the way we've experienced colonialism. Um, but I think a lot of the narratives that are forgotten are those of the indigenous people of different lands. And I, thought, I hope that through this series, we'll be able to actually uh, find out what it truly feels like, or at least get a, a hint of what it feels like as an indigenous person to be living in a world where you're kind of surrounded by people who are just sort of going by their day not knowing that their ancestors totally just, you know, subverted the whole course of history to essentially suit their needs. And like, this is your land. And I just wanted to know like how you generally feel, like how do you generally feel walking out in the U.S. knowing that this land is not truly the, the land of the people who might be the, living there, for example, but you just have to deal with that. What does that feel like?
2: Honestly, when I was younger, when my mother, she uh, would teach us certain things to make sure to know that uh, of our native side, um, I used to be really angry. I used to every time that I walk down the street and I see another white person, I'd be like, "You, you, you probably stole my land too," even though it happened thousands of years ago. I was I used to be a very angry child, but now, um, growing up, I feel like now we have to educate people more on what the land is and what happened to get us where we are now. Uh, even though it happened long ago, it still affects us today with um, the slavery, with um, a whole genocide. All, almost all Natives were wiped out through disease, not only besides you know, murdering, uh, raping of our women and children. Uh, it was basically brought over the diseases from Spain, England, France that almost wiped us out. So I feel like we have to bring more education because people for some reason still think that we did go extinct. I've had cases when I was in high school where people thought uh, there was no more until I'm like, yeah, I'm native. They're like, oh, I thought you went extinct. Like, no, we're still here. Like, it seems like we have to educate people that we are here. And I guess a lot of people nowadays think that we're angry and we want to take all the land back and send everybody back from where they came. And we're like, no, we want to just educate. Yes, um, we want to keep our land sacred that was given to us to uh, you know keep a hold of what we have. Uh, but people think that we just want to throw them all away and just send them back. But yeah when i was younger i used to be very very angry but now i feel like we have to educate people on what's going on now and what happened then
0: yeah no i find that i find that very very interesting i think the the way you brought up the the concept of disease i mean a lot of people i don't think many people know this story but i'm also part maasai and maasai are essentially a tribe that live in east africa predominantly and even during colonialism was sort of split amongst, I think it was Kenya, Tanzania, and a couple of other countries uh, just over the border. And um, a lot of people don't know this, but a large group, I think it was over 80,000 um, Masais back in the late 1800s were killed by smallpox. And that reduced the numbers of Masais so significantly that they actually, I mean, we became a minority, essentially. And um, I think that's that's probably the reason why there's not a lot that's being said about, for example, something like Maasai history. So I can imagine, like, if we're talking about connecting that colonial experience, a lot of people might say, oh, yeah, you know, but it wasn't such a bad thing. It wasn't the fault of um, the people who decided to come over to the U.S. because, um, you know, they didn't intend to to give them the, you know, uh, all these diseases. And then I bring up, obviously, that case of the smallpox and the blankets, etc. So in some cases, it definitely was something that they were using to eliminate Native Americans. And I tell people that, yeah, even if you know that, for example, you're going to be bringing new diseases, you know what it's going to do to these people, then why are you even there in the first place? And it just sort of makes me question, like, why people even tried to justify um, things like colonialism in the first place, you know? Right.
2: They, like, even though the diseases weren't intentional, like, they were, I'm going to just say, like, they were dirty. They had dirty pigs chickens on the boat even though their intention wasn't i'm going to cough on you and kill you their intentions was still to kill they were going to come over and kill our people one by one irregardless of the methods
0: yeah no and i think a lot of people just sort of brush these things off but i remember even in my history class for example till today i believe every single u.s president has to believe in the concept of manifest destiny And a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't know what manifest destiny is, but it's essentially, and I'm sort of watering it down, so don't really quote me, but the general thesis of it is essentially going west and being able to capture all the land because it's God-given land, you know, um, uh, For I'm assuming the white man. And, you know, just being able to go all the way to the west and capture all that different land and make it American soil essentially. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't even focus on that. They won't even know how the US itself came to be they won't learn about for example the mexican-american war etc how that land was just sort of not just texas you know california all these pieces of land people don't really know about how they actually came to be part of the usa so definitely i can see why you would want to like you know educate and i tell africans that are listening to the listening to this podcast i think our colonial experience was a bit different in the sense that uh the colonizers came in many of our countries i think save for algeria where there was like a very very large presence of French people that actually settled there. There was just a few settlers, although they were very brutal, there was massive genocides in different places. Um, I just tell people at least the one thing that we have at least is our land, and we have some element of sovereignty. I'd say that our minds, although a lot of our minds are still colonized, at least like we have the land, and uh, at least there is some element of our cultures that are still remaining. And actually I wanted to speak a bit more about culture perhaps. but. Uh, My question, my first question would be, um, do you feel your culture is still intact or during that whole period, do you feel like you lost a lot of your culture during the colonial period, that period of slavery? Has it been like watered down? And what's been that like uh, trying to preserve culture, for example?
2: I feel like it has been watered down uh, a little bit because everyone wanted to keep their tradition sacred or in the case of the Trail of Tears that happened to the Cherokee Nation, Uh, we weren't allowed to practice our traditions we weren't allowed to sing our songs we weren't allowed to um, wear the clothes our traditional clothing we weren't allowed to uh, play our music wear the hair that we want to they stripped our hair they cut it um, and like the the elders tried their best to you know keep the traditions alive by you know giving it to either the oldest or um, basically keep it in text, but again, a lot of it was stripped away. Like even the language to learn the language of the Cherokee is hard. You, um, my grandfather only, oh my great grandmother only spoke it to the oldest children, because um, they didn't want it to basically not say like be stripped from them, but they didn't want to hinder them in some way. Cause um, with the whole situation with uh, colonialism and you know being taken from your land to be placed from one place to another, uh, a lot of it was lost. So like now people are starting to pick things back up. A lot of people are trying to uh, learn from where they came. Like I'm slowly learning the language, even though it's hard for me to do. Um, it took me a long time to learn the language um and like even my mother she doesn't know the language because it's so sacred and like some of the dances you have to go uh out of the way to try learning it because it's so sacred because it doesn't uh, a lot of people don't want it to be um put out there to be abused to be uh like culturally appropriated like once they find something they'll take it and then we'll have it no more so a lot of it has been watered down, but um, a lot of it is still you know, alive and well.
0: Yeah, no, I think uh, that's that's very interesting considering the fact that obviously over time, it's like they really wanted to essentially cause people to assimilate. And
2: mm-hmm. that's
0: something that's very similar um, that you'll eventually see in French colonialism on the African continent as well. You know, you have to totally reject your your culture, you have to reject your blackness, you have to reject mm-hmm. every single drop of Africanity that is within you in order to be at par with the colonizer. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's 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 quite unfortunate, right? That you know, you're sort of caught between, you know, do I spread this culture within my community? Or what if it gets out? And for example, you know, there's the danger of cultural appropriation, right? And mm-hmm. I think I wanted to ask actually, just to sort of confirm is it more based on oral history and oral tradition um or are there any like you know texts that are being widely distributed amongst your community that you can be able to at least study and be able to learn your culture
2: it's a little bit of both um i have found a lot of friends who are part of the same nations as as i am but they actually like live on the reservations my family uh we don't because um one of my family members, they left. They had to leave. And so um, a lot of it is by mouth, but a lot of it you can uh, look up if you want to learn a little bit of the history, like of the great chiefs. It's easy to find on the Cherokee Nation um, website or even they have their own Instagram that they're able to you know, help you learn little things here, here and there. But a lot of it like traditions and songs are by uh, word of mouth. Uh, a lot of um, like history you can learn by word of mouth because some of the stuff that um, isn't on the uh, website, I learned through my grandfather, my mother, and even some of my friends. So it's like a little bit of both. Like, I feel like the website is more of like, if you're an a white ally or a black ally, and you wanna learn, that's where you go to. But if you are one, like, Not say like one of us, but if you want to learn more about your past history, then it's best to go like word of mouth.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's a it's a very uh, particular way of doing things in the sense that I think, yeah, you had your own written script, etc. So at least that makes sense that at least you have uh, some source of information that you can be able to access and learn about your history. Um, I would have thought that. a lot of the history was lost if it was oral. So I'm thinking that, yeah, that's that's yeah, one of the things. sometimes that...
2: the stories, you know, get mixed up. But even with, um, like, me and my friend, we were talking about um, a certain Sanskrit or, like, a story that we had learned um, when I was younger with a mm-hmm. spider. And, um, like, she had said something different, but I'm like, I learned it this way, but it's still the same. Like, it still all has the same meaning even though like we learned it different ways it still has like the same kind of like the background even though bits and pieces were missing or bits and pieces were added um it still all came together like oh yeah we're still has we have the same story
0: yeah and I think oral oral tradition is is one of those things I think it it's not necessarily, for example, a defect, and this is what I tell people, right? Uh, when when people have the tendency to look into history, for example, they think, for example, that you know, writing is the only way to preserve information, and that you know that that's the only way, that's the only intelligent way, and I think that that's personally very ethnocentric,
2: uh, mm-hmm. because
0: when you have oral uh, histories and you have knowledge, I think it actually forces you as a younger generation to really bond with your older generation to seek knowledge from them Mm -hmm. and you actually have to like learn from them and a lot of people in uh, especially in Mali for example in ancient Mali they used to have people called griots and um, they used to be essentially historians and even poems like the epic of Sanjata that's the first king or the first mansa of the Mali empire, that's a poem that's been transmitted through oral tradition till today. Mm -hmm. And I find it so incredible that we have those sort of similarities at times. And unfortunately, though, during colonialism, even on the African continent, a lot of our elders actually were either killed, or for example, they had to assimilate. And then um, it went from, for example, transmitting all these different um, messages and all these different values and norms. Um, to sort of just focusing on fighting a colonizer etc so I think it's unfortunate sometimes history has been lost like that are you in a position where there are some for example there's some elders very few elders that actually have this knowledge or where would you go to be able to seek this in-depth knowledge because you mentioned about you know the idea of you know these dances being so sacred and it's very difficult to so you have to really go out of your way to learn it so could you just tell me a bit more about that
2: yeah I usually try my best to connect as much as I can because I know my great great grandmother she's still alive she's about to be 100 soon so she only knows like oh so much from what her mother had taught her so um sometimes you know I can go to her or um my friend's mother she knows a lot more so I either go to her um or even like groups you can contact the elders if you can um so uh yeah, sometimes you have to go out of your way. But if I know for a fact and I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure I've heard this before from my own family, then I go to my own family to learn. Or if I um need a little bit more, uh, I, I will go to my friend and be like, uh, hey, does your mom know about this? You know, um, I, it it was kind of hard for me to do. Um, cause I am like a shy person. So um for me to go out of my way to act to my Friend's mom uh it was kind of difficult for me um for me to ask my grandmother because sometimes it's hard for me to to talk to them on the phone so uh to go uh or to email um certain like they have like certain facebook groups and stuff you can email them to ask for more information like i want to learn more about this and i want to learn more about that um it takes a lot of like courage within myself to be able to go out there to learn more because I want and besides like the own stuff that we learned in my family I want to learn more about I know like uh, us different tribes we do things differently so if I wanted to learn something from let's say um the Blackfoot tribe I want to learn something from them I have to go out of my way to find someone who's Blackfoot to learn something from them or from someone who is Navajo or Dene I have to go out of my way to go there to learn how we're the same, but yet different. Like we all have like the same concepts with the dream catchers, like, or headdresses, cause not all tribes do headdresses or um, the use of white sage or medicines and practices. Uh, all of us is kind of like the same, but different. So if you wanted to learn like different things, it's kind of hard. Cause like I said, everyone keeps their things sacred. So, uh yeah, it was actually really hard for me to learn more of my language because I had to go through my friend in order to learn my language because my mother, my grandmother, my great-great mother, she didn't know because it was sacred. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, so by sacred I'm guessing you mean like sort of exclusive.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. That's very, yeah, that's very interesting. Um and uh about even the language, I think that's that just also sort of reflects on how powerful you know it is to colonize a language and there's different people like i think stephen pinker he's like a harvard professor who talked about language and you know language and how it affects people etc how you think and i'm just i was thinking about this the other day it's like if you i mean a lot of us maybe you think as english in your default language and if you speak many languages maybe you think in english but you speak the different language Mm -hmm. right so apparently the way you you know perceive certain words and the way you for example like there's and i think it's in different languages there's like you know 12 different words for the word love but in english there's only one you know all these different nuances aren't really taken care of so have we automatically lost like you know a bit of our identity by virtue of the fact that for example we've been taught to like learn english from the beginning i find that very like you know
2: yeah because um on my father's side um he is panamanian so uh, of course i learned spanish as well as english but then when i growing up i wanted to learn the language of the cherokee and my mother is like i don't know it yeah um i went to my grandfather he doesn't know it because because you know everything was kept private so it was um It kind of felt like a piece of me was gone even though like we still have the traditions we go to the uh ceremonies and all this other stuff but um a part of me felt like i'm missing something if i'm not able to communicate with um any other one any any other people who wasn't outside of my family you know like if i go to someone random who speaks spanish i could communicate with them even though we have a different dialect i could still be able to understand but if I go to someone who's speaking um, the Cherokee language to me I wouldn't be able to understand like I've had incidents where um, people will come up to me at a powwow and start speaking I'm like I'm sorry (laughs) I I don't know I don't know what you're saying or my friend she'll text it out to me in in Cherokee and I'm like I only recognize one letter I'm sorry I don't understand so it's always felt like a piece of me was gone, but now since like I'm 20 years old, I'm just now learning the language. So, and now it's starting to feel like the pieces of the puzzle are starting to come back together, even though it felt like it took way too long for me to learn it. But I don't blame anyone for it. Um, well, I can't blame my family for it, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I think Even, yeah, you've brought up the point, obviously, like, you know, you've sort of been shut off from having those conversations, et cetera. And I think it's also a bit unfortunate, Um, even just sort of of to link it to different, you know, languages on the African continent. I think um, there's been some element to preserve some, you know, local dialects, but I'm noticing a bit of a trend, especially for people, for example, in Kenya who live in Nairobi, the capital city. Like, yeah, for example, there are certain languages um, of different tribes. Which are very, very common, but they're commonly spoken only in certain regions of the country. Then the more you go into like Nairobi or the main cities is like English is sort of like the default. Uh, But I also know that Swahili is also like, you know, one of those languages, but Swahili is obviously like, you know, it was a trading language. So that's something that um, it was very, it was very common on the coastline, not even just in Kenya, but Tanzania and northern Mozambique, etc. But now I'm wondering what the fate of certain languages will be, for example, if um there is no effort to sort of teach people even in the city for example like um i'd love to see you know more classes in you know traditional african languages and i would actually argue um that we probably need a bit more effort in being able to reclaim languages right a lot of people a lot of people don't really talk about that but i would like to for example as an african See different languages, for for example, from Nigeria, because there's a there's a wealth of scripts. A lot of people don't actually know this. Um, one of them actually may have been contributed to by uh, a Cherokee man named Austin Curtis, who ended up becoming an African chief as well in the mm-hmm. Vai tribe. So people are debating whether the Vai script, which is very commonly used, um, and the Vai syllabary. If it's being if, it's, if it was actually influenced by Cherokee script. So that's another interesting thing. Uh, I think a link of our history. I think, for example, if you use scripts like, you know, um, Obviously, the Vice script you popularize it, etc. And you make that the default language and make sort of like, you know, languages like English simple like trading languages, or maybe even just using a different language from the African continent as a trading language. I think that would be an interesting way to reclaim African identity at the same time um for like you know Native Americans it would really be cool for example if that was something that you know it was very normalized in different areas just speak Cherokee and like if you go to this area you have to know Cherokee I think it was just sort of it would be really interesting what what are your thoughts on you know reclaiming language and being able to like teach it in school
2: I would love it I would love it if we were able to learn it in school because now even on like learning apps to learn languages the only language that you could pretty much learn um right now is the Navajo, the Dene language, which um, I was like, wow, that's so cool. But what about me? Cause um, you know, the language of the Navajo was used um, for um, secret code in a way during World War II. Like they used it to do decoding and stuff, which is like a great win. But like, what about the other languages? I would love to be able to teach my children and and my children's children the language of the Cherokee um, without having to go through the hassle of what I went through so if it was able to be taught in schools I would absolutely love it but I would not want it to be abused or mistranslated or um, have it butchered you know what I mean
0: Mm. yeah and I think even apps like Duolingo they only cater for like very very few languages etc and I think that I mean at the end of the day it's also something that has to come from our communities as people that have experienced colonization this is a project that we really need to read up on and I think that you know language is a new way of building culture and it's a new way of thinking it's a new way of being able to express yourself as a different you know human being it gives you that sort of value to your identity so I think I hope one day uh, possibly I can walk into a store in the U.S. and see a book that's written, like a novel written in Cherokee script. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, uh, I'm able to walk into different African stores and to be able to see different skips, scripts. We can even create new scripts to be able to fit certain languages and just be able to say, you know what, this is what our books are going to be printed in, just to be able to reclaim and perhaps do the uh, undo a bit of the damage that was done by colonialism, because I don't particularly enjoy, although like English is a worldwide language, it's like, I feel like I would want to connect with my roots and be able to just right. sort of secure that part of my identity, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel,
0: yeah. Yeah. And also I've just seen a dream catcher in your background. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I think we, we did say that we're gonna talk about a bit of uh, you know, cultural appropriation. Uh, the first the first thing I want to ask you um, is definitely uh, the dream catcher's thing, because I think at one point, um, I think I had a dream catcher in my house, but I just thought it was like something cool, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know much about it, but could you just tell me a bit more about what a dream catcher is, and how it's actually, perhaps it had something sacred that's been, you know, appropriated culturally by different people, and it's just sort of marketed as like this toy, so just tell right. us a bit more about that.
2: The dream catcher is meant to catch th- the bad spirits the um the nightmares um usually it's put in a bedroom or above a baby's cradle to keep uh it keep the baby you know safe calm protected. I keep one over my head to protect me because I used to have a lot of nightmares and so um when I was able to buy it like I have them in my house, but I needed one in my room for me um. It's a way to protect our dreams, our thoughts. And uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, they keep it up for decoration, but a uh, dream catcher, while it's catching those bad spirits um, at, in the morning, it's supposed to hit sunlight to basically erase it, uh, erase the um, nightmares. So it can, like, not say like it's been filled up with bad dreams, it's supposed to like a restart, like a new day that's why sunlight's supposed to hit it um now you see people with dreamcatcher tattoos and um, now it's all colorful and uh it's it's never supposed to be pretty looking (laughs) um because like my dreamcatcher i bought it from uh a a native shop uh a lot of people buy drink catchers from like urban outfitters and basically these whitewashed stores not knowing the meaning of it and then they wonder like why am i getting so you know so much hate or why am i having so much so many bad things happening to you because you're having all this negative energy come towards you and it's now attached to your body or it's on your tapestry or it's not hitting the sunlight um now i guess I don't know, from TikTok, I'm learning a lot of people are wanting to learn more about the Dreamcatcher and how to actually use it. Um, Now people are starting to learn that they can buy it from a native shop. It's better to buy it from a native shop because it's now blessed or um, it was taken from our culture to be able to produce it and to help you in the long run. But like, now I go to a tic-tac shop and I just see like a little dream catcher and I'm like, why? <laughs> it's all pink with rainbows, that uh, rainbow feathers that are from Dollar Tree. And I'm like, um, that's, that's not it. Or mm-hmm. the use of like white sage. Uh, white sage is sacred for natives because it's kind of, um, in America, it's going to extinct and it's very hard to grow. And now you see these new uh, witches or Wiccans who are using the use of white sage and taking it and not knowing how to use it. And when we tell them, like, hey, you know, white sage is meant for uh, natives because we barely have any, it's hard to grow. Um, if you want to use white sage, go to a native so they can bless it. And they pass it on, like, no, white sage is for the earth, it's for everybody. But they continue to ignore us. Same with like dream catchers. Like, hey, the dream catcher, um, if you want to use a dream catcher for real, get it from a native instead of buying it from Urban Outfitters because you're going um, con- um, to get bad energy following you around and they pass it off like, no, it's just a regular toy. Like nowadays, it feels like uh, certain things have been taken and whitewashed in a way. And basically, kind of mocking, if you know what I mean.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I find that so. I mean, I never actually knew that that was. I mean, it's it's actually probably you know the the fault of you know a lot of Western media, just yeah. sort of portraying it as this sort of toy and something that's just, oh, it's mythical. And I think for the people who are just like, oh, come on, Adnan, it's just a dream catcher. It's just something that you know we have, it can't be that deep. It's like, imagine if people, for example, and I think this this has already been done, right? But it, it, it ideally it should not have been done, right? But for example, people using a, a crucifix just as something like, you know, just to get for fun. And it's like, you know, you're diluting that, the religious meaning of that for someone. Or for example, if we made holy books like aesthetics, you know, uh, and I've I've seen a lot of people do this, and even for example, certain people just deciding to veil because it's cool, and it's like you know, they're just trying to you know make it seem like it's uh, something that has no significance in any form of religion. And I tell people like, these are sacred matters, and like especially if, I'm, if you're from an Abrahamic faith, you might be like, oh, you know, I don't believe in evil spirits, etc. And you know, it comes from this sort of you know, oh, my religion is superior to yours, etc. I don't want to hear what you have to say, but I just tell people like, you know, we also believe we have our own beliefs and we want people to respect them. So go ahead and also respect the beliefs of, you know, native people. And Mm -hmm. like, uh, I think that it's just totally wrong that people, I mean, it's gone to that extent and I never even knew about it till very recently. And like, um, just to any creators that are listening, if you have a dream catcher, like, you know, uh, just if you want to use it properly, then follow her advice or just don't use it at all. Like, Uh, it would just be so disrespectful if you know people did that to your culture as well so i find it a bit crazy that's just happening um i did want to ask though um in relation to dream catchers like you know what's what's the line between appreciating that form of culture and appropriating it so like do you are you okay with people just using a dream catcher if it's been bought from let's say a native shop um or is it uh is, is like you know is it just for natives to use what do you think
2: I don't mind anyone using it because if you're having bad dreams or you're having bad spirits coming around you, by all means, use a dream catcher, but that's appreciation. But when it comes down to appropriating is you yourself, a non-native, making a dream catcher from Dollar Tree utensils, like it comes like a lot of us use when we make dream catchers, we take it from the earth and put it in our homes. Like, mine is made out of um, real leather. So it's actually kind of, like, deteriorating. But, <laughs> um, like, it was taken a lot of dedication and, and praying and over it and for it to be made and to put into that Native shop for me to buy. But um, for you to uh, just randomly make it out of these things, like, even um, my cousin on my... Hispanic side she had told me she was like in school they made us make dream catchers but I didn't make it because I know uh of your side and I'm like yeah right there that's appropriation not appreciation because it's like a mocking like oh you can make this little toy this little decoration to hang up when it's not just decoration well not at all in my opinion is decoration it's um a way to help you uh either sleep or to get rid of bad spirits even when it comes down to um Even our jewelry, I have been seeing a lot of um, white people make beaded jewelry, not knowing the patterns and the significance that go behind our beaded jewelry. Um, The way how they make it out of um, cheap materials and I'm like you're uh, trying to appropriate and not appreciate the designs of where it came from, even when it comes down to our clothing. I've even seen this one woman who was mocking us on the internet, who was like, oh yeah, this is how natives dress and her tassels were touching the ground. And I'm like, that is disrespectful. Um, if you wanted to appreciate our clothing, appreciate us, you would have done at least your research to know that our tassels don't touch the ground, that we uh, it, can't, it can't touch the ground at all. It has to be a certain length and all this other stuff. So, like, appreciation is when you go out of your way to do research, when you go and you buy it from a Native shop, or um, you ask your Native friend, or, you know, you go out of your way to do it. Appropriation is when you take it and you try claiming it as your own without doing the research. You look at it once to say, that's cute, and I'm going to take it.
1: Hmm.
0: I think even appropriation, in my opinion, it extends to people, for example, let's say you're not claiming it to be your own culture, per se, but you're, you're so arrogant in that you're not even from that community, but you decide how that culture should manifest, right. well, like how it should be used, you know?
2: Yeah, I even had inc- uh, incidents um, talking on my page, like, a white sage is for natives i explained the use of white sage how we use it how it it's going extinct how it's hard to grow and all this other stuff but then um these white wiccans would be like no everyone can use it i'm like wiccan the you know like the religion wiccan wasn't even made until about 50 years ago this this practice have been around for thousands of years so how are you going to tell me a native who has use these practices who have used white sage uh, well i can't even use white sage i have been white sage has been used on me how um it's supposed to be used when it's been uh over thousands of years how it's supposed to be used while you on the other hand have just now started this and now you think it's a part of your culture when it's not
0: facts and i think one thing that i will say um it's just popped into my mind because you're talking about a lot of different spiritual things I feel like a lot of um you know indigenous communities and a lot of native african you know whether it was religions or people are very spiritual and i think that that's something that has been hijacked by this yeah, new yeah. trend of oh spirituality 1111 11, 666 6, 6, you know 333 3, everyone is like you know looking at these different things and you know, talking about energies, etc., all these different things. And I'm like, yo, um, people have been talking about this for like ages.
2: Right. And some- how they're taking Hinduism and Buddhism and then trying to change it into their own. And I'm like, that's that's disrespectful. I even seen people, there's these creatures that uh, you're not supposed to whistle at night and people would like worship those creatures and I'm like mm, that's why you have a bunch of bad energy coming around you because mm-hmm. you want to appropriate it and think of these creatures as a good thing uh, I can't say the name because I'm like <laughs> but um, my natives know that, mm-hmm. um, uh, that you call upon these creatures bad things are going to happen to you and now people are taking it and worshiping it and we're like Why? What's what's the purpose?
0: Wait, do you mind if I ask the name or like? Because I think I know the name. Should I not say it?
2: Uh, A nickname would be a skin crawler.
0: Oh, Uh, I most definitely know.
2: Yeah, the the other one with the real name begins with a W. It's Mm. usually it knew it, but I knew it as uh, skin crawler. Uh, so. I try my best, my, my mother used to tell me the story about it. And so you don't whistle at night, you don't call upon its name. It's kind of like a Beelzebub type thing or like a Beetlejuice, <laughs> if you've ever mm. seen that. It's kind of like, if you call upon its name, bad things will happen. And so now um, people are taking it and they're like, oh yeah, it's good. That's a good guy. It's a good creature. And we're like, no, it's always been a bad, bad spirit uh so like it's now people are trying to make it seem something bad and turning it to something good when that's not the case
0: I just I just want to talk a bit more about that because I I was a big horror fan so I'd look for like you know true stories in relation to those creatures and I'm I'm really really interested into like you know how it actually functions etc um do you want to just briefly explain like you know um the the sort of story behind these these creatures and like how they work or like do we do we do we not do that
2: (laughs) Uh, i i can explain the best way as i can without saying the name but um one like you can't whistle at night you shouldn't whistle at night because you can call upon the creature um another thing is they have a tendency of calling your name at night to sound like that certain person like a loved one even uh one time it happened to me and i was like okay i know i got like uh, i was going through like a really bad time or i had bad friends and i'm like i heard my uh grandmother's voice and i'm like she's gone i'm mm. going in the house <laughs> so yeah uh, like a lot of a lot of uh that's what they do they have a tendency of like or a crying child um A lot of people, a lot of uh, different tribes have like different stories of how they would call, but I know with mine, it'll sound like your loved one or uh, a loved one that's either still alive or gone or um, a crying child or um, a baby, you know, like asking for help. Sometimes it'll even take the form of an old man who has fallen and stuff like that. So um, don't whistle at night. Don't call upon his name uh because bad things will
0: happen (laughs) yeah no I think I I mean it's it's incredibly sad though that I I used to watch all these different you know scary stories etc and it's not just sort of been commodified to make these you know movies to make these you know things and that's another thing it's like you 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 totally insult the culture right Mm -hmm. you don't care much for the details you don't care much about the customs associated with those beliefs and just generally people just start making you know videos about these things and they sort of just you know commodify it they use it for clout all these different things and I find it very sad because even for example I can't remember what lake this is there's like a volcano lake as well in the U.S. I can't remember it's one of the biggest lakes in the U.S. Um, Um,
2: The the hot spring?
0: No not the hot springs I think it's in I can't remember i really can't remember but it's like a volcanic lake and there's also like you know there's a native um you know belief that 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 is actually a place where there's a lot of evil spirits and energy etc and like a lot of people just go there they just don't listen etc and i'm just like yeah even it doesn't necessarily mean for example that um for example that um you know something that's bad is going to happen to you every single time you go there etc but and it's good to listen to you know what people that you know people who have lived there what they think etc and like you know uh, I'm going to find the name and probably insert it into the podcast for those who are listening if you want to really research it but there have been you know people that have flown over that lake etc and they've gone missing you know yeah
2: just I random know what you're talking about yeah
0: <laughs> yeah and like you know the water is so blue and um it's like really vast etc people have gone missing people have been found dead etc so i mean obviously like you know just listen to the natives guys i i I don't like the way a lot of people uh, just sort of come in and they say that oh you must be crazy because it does not meet our science and whatever and this is also another message to people for example who who are sort of i'll call them yeah uh naturalist people who basically believe you know what you see that's the only thing I think it's good Mm -hmm. to respect people who also believe in the realm of some some unseen, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because uh, this is, again, where the spirituality thing comes from. A lot of people just sort of, you know, they want to leave out the whole belief, et cetera, and they just want to sort of mold it into their own thing to make them comfortable, uh, et cetera. But just realize that there's a lot of power in these beliefs and these different beliefs, et cetera. And it's always good to like respect those. And yeah, just don't, don't appropriate that form of culture. And I'm, I'm really glad right. that we had this conversation
2: <laughs> because
0: uh, I love learning more ab- about your culture. I think it's really beautiful. Yep. And even speaking of which, you know, we've been talking about people making films and sort of changing the culture and you know commodifying it. I want to know your thoughts on Pocahontas.
2: Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I so wish that Disney, like Disney had the right idea, but went about it the wrong way. Um, when it came down to Pocahontas, uh, when I was younger, I actually used to love the movie without knowing the story. Because um, I was just like, wow, it's another Native girl. I've never seen it before. She kind of looks like me, squinty eyes, brown skin, big nose, like, wow, she looks like me. But then when I learned the story, and I'm like, it's so, they stripped it and romanticized it, romanticized um, this, this Native girl who fell in love with a white man, when that's not the story at all. Um, another thing that used to actually scare me about the movie was <laughs> when the whole song, when, they were, when the white men and the Natives were fighting, and they were saying savages. Mm. I remember one time in the fourth grade, uh, because I was one of the only natives in the school besides like my brother and my sisters, um, where uh, all the kids turned around and like looked at me and was like, hey, that's you. And I'm like, nope. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like when I moved from one school to the next, I actually used to carry around this little moccasin. It's a shoe uh, that I got from a Navajo woman when I was seven and uh this these kids will like tease me with like tying in and with the movie and was like oh you live in a teepee like them and i'm like no i live in a house that's another thing like a lot of people think that we're uncivilized and we all like live this certain way and i'm like well no we still like live in homes we are we're pretty sophisticated thank you uh,
1: <laughs> and
2: even when it came down to like certain teachers my teacher when I was in the third grade, um, again I'm carrying around the little moccasin I carried around with me everywhere, and I still do. She uh, saw it and proceeded to play the um, the soundtrack for the Disney movie, and I was like, "That's weird." <laughs> and she will call me her little Pocahontas, like I'm a oh little oh my god. So it, it that the movie kind of. Butchered the way how natives are seen. Like, we're, uh, uh, like, the language, the Iroquois language in the movie was great. But I loved how Disney was able to grab native uh, or Powhatan um, actors to sing and be in the movie. I was like, that is awesome. But the way how they romanticized that whole situation with the coming to Virginia and making it seem like we're these angry people because we have we're of course we're angry because our land is being taken away but the way how they're like no we need peace between the the white man and the natives and i'm like that's not what happened they literally came we tried to have peace but then they basically brushed us over with the disease and the guns and i'm like well they got that part right but everything (laughs) else story of um matoka that's her real name how they butchered it and made it, um, I wouldn't say like sexualized her in a way, but they kind of sexualized her as this grown woman who, who's ditzy and wants to run away in the wind. And I'm like, that's not how she was or how she was depicted. And the, um, what we had learned that she was this 10 year old girl who wanted peace, who would speak on behalf of the tribe, um, the Powhatan tribe. But then um, was a lot of people don't know, like there was a second movie of Pocahontas where they uh, said that she was like, she was willingly to leave uh, to go over to England where she passed away. Um, But what really happened is that she was forced to go over there to, Mm. to England, you know what I mean? So I feel like with Disney they tried their best to, you know, romanticize it and make it dumbed down. But I'm like, they should have went about it the right way and used the real story. Even though it's like kind of graphic, it it would have been better that way. (laughs) Um, I used to hate it when people called me Pocahontas because I'm like, one, I'm not from her tribe. Two, that's kind of disrespectful to compare me to a Disney movie when mm. I'm nowhere
0: near like a Disney movie you know what I mean she's from the Iroquois I believe right Is she?
2: Iroquois or you know,
0: Powhatan mm. yeah and I think I, I want to make a very quick point in relation to yeah you you talked you talked about how it's been sort of the it's been whitewashed the story mm. and it's also been sort of you know made palatable for the white viewer right? Mm. Uh, someone who's obviously had European ancestors. I think I find that very interesting because a lot of people try to justify these things like uh, slavery, colonialism, oh, it was a product of their time, you know, you don't don't even worry about it. You know, it just it just happened to be what was the norm. They didn't know any better. They really didn't see them as human. Then my question is, why has so much effort been put into sort of washing you know, history books, like, you know, um, of all these, you know, brutal facts, and this is not just of, like, history books of this generation, where it's like, oh, white guilt, right, this has been happening for ages, Mm -hmm. people don't want others to know that this happened during this time, so yes, they knew what was going on, and moreover, they actually decided it was a good idea that, oh, you know what, we have to, as J. Cole says, white out our sins, you Mm -hmm. know, it's 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 incredible how even in film today it can easily be just fantasized as as something like that. Even I think when something like you know, uh Black Panther came out, or not even just Black Panther, I want to talk mainly about let's start off with Lion King, the the original Lion King. You know, the fact that Disney tried to trademark hakuna matata which means basically yeah, no no worries right in swahili it's like that's not your language and the fact that you want to just be able to use it as if it's this you know this sort of uh, you know sales point and you've distilled our language which has been sort of formed over thousands of years of, like a, a thousand or more years of trade with you know different people from all different parts of the world you want to just change that to make it some sales point it doesn't make mm. any sense to me and Then even Black Panther, although yes, I appreciate the fact that African cultures featured there were quite a few details, et cetera. I think that like, we need we need more of a you know a, a balance, right? People who have it, like you know have these experiences, I think should have a very big role in being able to direct and you know uh, play roles in these films. like because the the African accent, what what is an African accent? But I just heard something really odd as someone who comes from the continent. You know, just hearing that weird sort of accent, that the way it manifested in Black Panther, I was like, "What? What the hell was that?" And the thing is, like, yeah. yes, there were a few actors, like Lupita Nyong'o, there was the Nigerira, but we need more. For example, in my opinion, that that film needed more native, a uh, native African oversight. In the same right. way, for example, like, don't make a film without consulting the people, like. Right. And even this just goes to, you know, for people who are trying to make plays, people who are trying to write books, people who are trying to, in quotes, add representation. That may be something that has good intentions behind it, but mm-hmm. I invite you to actually talk to those people in person. Researching is not enough because researching you'll be able to read words on a screen, yes, but only someone in person can tell you the, the nuances, you know, in the, uh, in the culture, you know, all these different things that may not even be on there, for example. So I'd love to see, for example, more native representation in film, and perhaps you know, there should be a real Pocahontas release to actually tell people right. that this is this, this is, is what's different. going on.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's why uh, when it, like Disney did an amazing job when it came down to the movie Moana, because they actually went out to the Polynesian islands and to um, basically learn, like even how they they learned. Um, about the demigod Maui and the um, like the story behind him. Even they went down to how he tied his hair up in a bun using the methods, how um, they went out there and actually lived a little bit how they did to uh, get things right. And I'm like, I wish that they did that with other movies. Even mm-hmm. um, there was this one movie that came out with Leonardo DiCaprio that he won an Oscar for, I believe, mm-hmm. I forget the name of the movie. Like the way how they they romanticized him um, falling in love with a native woman, she dies. Like, and he takes care of his son, but he's far away from his son. Like, he was fighting a bear or something. I forget the name of the movie. But I was like, the way how we know for a fact, like in the back of my mind watching it, I'm like, I know for a fact he did not fall in love with that native woman. He probably took her and used her and then had a son out of it the way how they they try to romanticize this like white savior complex I like to say where though in order for things to move on we have to go back to the white man in order to like move on like the movie The Help that in order for the um black women to move forward they had to do something with the white white people in order to figure out themselves or the white people had to help them in order to move forward and i'm like i hate that white savior complex that has been in the movies even with um back on pocahontas in order for there to be peace um pocahontas had to save the white man in order for it to be better and i'm like what mm. what's up with this white savior complex that's going on um that's why i gear towards like movies that are directed by my favorite director, uh, Spike Lee, because he always, like, it's so Black-centric. He goes back and he does his research. He um, he always keeps things, not like Black only, but he's, he shows it through what actually really happened. Like the movie, Black Klansman, he read the book, he, he did his research. It was a great way to depict how, what actually happened during that time and um, the way how he basically made us relive what was going on and not a lot of directors are able to do that without even having the white savior complex within those movies you know what I mean
0: yeah and I feel like sometimes it's always it's sometimes it's a product of white guilt it's like you know Mm -hmm. I feel like you know and sometimes a lot of allies actually do this um, and, you know, it even manifests in social life, like there's this white person that feels like so guilty and they're like, you know, I, I'm sorry for what my ancestors did, but I'm too uncomfortable <laughs> to accept my, you know, I, I'm too uncomfortable to actually confront it head on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a white character that is a manifestation of all my insecurities and mm. they're going to come onto screen and they're going to save the day and that's going to solve racism right right especially
2: like now now there's a bunch of people who have white guilt i have had messages like is there any way as me as a white ally how i can help your people and i'm like (laughs) like what uh educate yourself um they expect us to educate them when they can actually do it themselves like google scholar is free books are you know free or you know a little dollar penny here Uh, they expect us to be their search engine when we're not when it comes down to our issues i'm like it's all over the news that if you wanted or um on google you it's it's not that hard to be able to educate yourself because if i'm able to educate myself in my black issues or my indigenous issues if i'm able to educate myself in those why can't you educate yourself in my issues
0: facts facts i think um the only okay this is this is my only exception and my only like the, this is the farthest extent that i'll help someone with their research mm-hmm. i will direct you to a place where there's good sources that's it i'm not going right. to explain to you i'm not going to be your teacher right mm-hmm. the most i'm going to do is promote my content which is educational anyways and people know in the link for example link in my bio you can just go and check it out there's something called the black history gold mine go and read for yourselves
2: right but like i yeah. even have like stuff for like native connections. where i even have like um i'm starting a list of books that i've read like I'm reading a book by Martin Luther King currently, or like listening to the audiobook, a book that I have read in class, take an African American studies class. Like, those things help. Native American philosophy, like, those things help for you to open your eyes to learn. Um, like, I, if I wanted to be a teacher, I would be a teacher, but I'm not. And I'm just a regular 20 year old who wants to live my life, who wants to help you to learn, but I'm not going to, need to sit there and cradle you or coddle you. So you can mm. learn my issues and then um, basically slap it back in my face or try to use like, oh, I know this as like, like I know people who are like, oh, I learned this because I like, I have a black friend type thing or I have a native friend type thing where they would use that as like a, like a, a medal, mm. like, oh, I have this, I learned this because I have this friend and that friend. So like, I'm better than you other white person. Like, No educate yourself on your own. Like as many white philosophers who actually took the time to educate themselves on Black issues or Native American issues, or even the Hispanic uh, uh, Hispanic Latino issues, how they educating themselves to create the philosophies that they have made, why can't you do the same?
0: Mm. And I feel like also some people, like for example, the way on my channel, uh, I educate people on pre-colonial African history, it's just so sad. Like. The educational system in the West, and I'm I'm not even going to be apologetic, I'm apologetic about this. The way it's manifested is something that's so Eurocentric. It's embarrassing.
2: Right. I'm
0: sorry. How can you How can you be comfortable in a globalized world where some of these kids are going to go through to university? They're going to study political science, international relations. Then they're going to think that Africa has not had any sort of bright moment in its history. It's just been bleak, you know, babies sort of being eaten by scavenging vultures for a 100% of the history. And they're going to come over to the continent with their white savior mentality and be like, oh, you know, I think I know what to do because Mm -hmm. I know best. I studied this in school. Like, you know, like you can have a degree, right? But if you go to different cultures different places you still need to have and involve people in that process it's like Mm -hmm. how can you be educated you're setting up people for global failure like it's embarrassing for me to to hop onto a zoom business call and like you know this is supposed to be like a serious call it's like you know and like yeah i know the person probably didn't do this intentionally but like as you said google is free it's like i'm just still like yo you know um i'm from kenya and they say oh, is that a city in the uk and i'm like
2: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'm like, or the way guys. how like people call like they don't know the difference between india or 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 native native american because oh i oh i God, always yeah. hated the the term native indian because i'm like <sighs> i am not indian i'm not from india i'm not native to india so don't call me native indian or even now people are starting to not say the term native american because um People don't know that there's other indigenous people, on, not only in America. So we're like, we're all indigenous. Like I had a conversation with someone on my uh, TikTok because they're like, because obviously I, I, I'm i more Black than I am uh, Native, but um, I, I don't look like it. Although mm-hmm. I think I, I look exactly <laughs> like how my ancestors look like. Um, that's the thing with the stereotypes that we're all supposed to look one way but she was like oh you're just black and Hispanic and I'm like Hispanic's not a race but I'm I'm actually Afro-Indigenous who just so happens to be Hispanic too but people fail to realize that there are Indigenous tribes in South America Central America where um my family's from there's Indigenous tribes there Uh, Indigenous tribes in Canada there's Indigenous tribes pretty much everywhere who still connect with their roots um it's it it bothers me how people think that they were just like like this in one circle and just this one spot like the only tribes that people seem to know are the Cherokee uh the Navajo and maybe the Powhatan but people fail to realize that there's one like the Inuit um uh, the Choctaw the Chippewa Blackfoot um, the Pueblo like there's there's so many more of us who we're all not the same so um, people kind of like put us in this box especially with the education system like they all put us in this box like um, in my in my state we learned about the like what three tribes in my state and I'm like um, there's more to us in this state because our nation kind of goes it's pretty big but we only learned about you know like the Powtan or um or they um by the time I got to like fifth grade they stopped calling it palatin Iroquin like it, it it's they put us all in this box and make us seem like we're all the same you mm. know
0: what I mean? yeah no I think you know what's what's even funny is like I noticed the same thing happening when I've when I've done these podcasts um you know, connecting the colonial experience. its It's been so useful to do these podcasts because you get to see that the colonizers use the same tactics
2: mm-hmm. in the sense
0: that they really want to strip you of any form of ethnic identity. Um, for example, you know, when you're talking about North Africa and then there's this term sub-Saharan Africa and this should be on the previous episode. Um, if you want to go and like listen to that, guys, you can go ahead and listen to that. Talk a bit about North Africa, uh, and I'm going to call it South Saharan Africa instead of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, but just the concept of sub-Saharan Africa, there's so many you know intellectuals and there's so many scholars that I've just said that that term is null and void. Who's going to tell you that Senegal is similar to Kenya? you know Why is Johannesburg being compared lumped in the same you know sort of group with people from Nairobi? Africa is one of the most it's the, the most diverse continent. So why, why are we splitting off one part, for example, North Africa, mm-hmm. and we're f- hyper-focusing on, in quotes, Sub-Saharan Africa, or in quotes, Black Africa, or in quotes, Tropical Africa. I think that they're really trying to just strip people off of that identity. And I think mm-hmm. this is one of those things that, for example, when it comes to Blackness um, and the terms that we've been called, I mean, they do have their setbacks. I mean, the only reason, I've told people, the only reason why we should be identifying as Black is for the purposes of unity. And it's one of those main steps in being able to dismantle white supremacy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like, but we still need to acknowledge the the roots of that term. Sometimes, obviously, we need to do more to make sure that we're not just saying that someone is Black, but they're Black and they're Yoruba, or they're Black and they're Igbo, they're Black and they're Hausa. They're black, and their their ancestors are from the Bakongo Kingdom. They're black, and they're Kikuyu, Jalua, etc. I and mean, we need to, we need to give people more than that, just that identity. And I feel like for people um, who obviously non-white people, it's like your race is the first thing that people see, and it becomes it it sort of tries to trap you from having any other identities. And we need to right. do more to like sort of fight that, you know.
2: Mm-hmm like um when i identify myself on my little card you know those cards you get in school where it's like your race and ethnicity the first thing that um i always tell people is like i'm black indigenous and hispanic because that's what i am like the first thing that comes when you see me i am a black i'm a black person that's what you see first so um, I will always identify with Black, um, but I will never forget where my Latino side comes from or my Indigenous side. I will never forget those parts of me because it is a part of me. I might not know um, in depth where um, my African roots come from, like I know my um, Latino and my Indigenous roots, but I will never um, stop identifying as Black because that ties into like anti-blackness
0: within Mm. yourself yeah facts facts i think yeah just identity politics um it's there's a lot that doesn't make sense and i'm not trying to argue that for example um the concept of race in terms of racial hierarchy as how it was taught to us i'm not trying to argue that it makes sense i'm just arguing from a practical perspective that that's something that we need to stick with and as we come to the end of the podcast as usual i'm trying to feature in more uh questions from guests Um, So if you want to send me a question for the next podcast, look on my Instagram story. Um, I might just post the podcast list of what I'm trying to sort of get out. If you want to send a question, just send me a VN and we're going to try to get you on the podcast. So here's our question for today from his name is Sodom Muslim. Um, So this is his question.
1: Did Native Americans aid or deter the African struggle for freedom in the Americas? Uh, and vice versa. Yeah. So did you mm. get that?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like now we're aiding each other. Um, back then, we were put against each other without knowing we were having the same struggle. Like the story with the Buffalo Soldiers. The slaves were put against the Native Americans um, without even knowing that we were having the same struggle. Not a lot of people know about the story of the Buffalo soldiers and how um, we are basically the same, um, how the slaves were put uh, basically fighting the war with the, um, with the natives for land and um, how most of those people were actually mixed with, natives, uh, with Native American blood because um, uh, we were kind of forced to basically breed to create more slaves. So it was like tribe against tribe, but we were all the same. And uh, at that story, in, in that story, it's actually really sad how at the end, basically there was no winning. At the end, we were just fighting brother against brother. It was a civil war within ourselves. But like now we're starting to realize that we are the same. We're going through the same struggle with our people dying for no reason with our indigenous women being taken off of the reserves for uh, no reason and then when we talk about it the days later their bodies found in a ditch same thing when it comes down to um, black women dying in hospitals dur- during childbirth because they're looked as stronger than anyone else so they're not looked at as um as a priority What well, our recently there was this native woman who was part of the inuit tribe who um, was going through complications and she couldn't breathe and she was in pain but she was overlooked because there was there's to say that native women are strong they can handle the pain same with the black women um we're strong we can handle the pain through um and so it's like we're always overlooked but now we're like we're in this together especially with things like Black Lives Matter and more awareness of our women being stolen We're working together to, uh, for the cause for it to end so we could be seen as equal. Back mm-hmm. then it was like, it was harder because of things like blood quantum overseen uh, less than then or even now in America with um, people saying that overall oh, all natives are on welfare and all this other stuff that um, were put against one another without even knowing it but n- now it's like hey we're, we're the same we're going through the same struggle so let's work together to fight for the end of inequality mm. like, in a way back then yeah we were put against one another but now as the years go by we're trying to push through forward to work together
0: yeah, I think it's a very smart thing to do. And I'd say, yeah, obviously there are, I think there are crossovers when it comes to culture and history. Um, and a lot of people, for example, wouldn't know that, yeah, we talked about this before the podcast, the topic of slavery. Some people use this as a sort of excuse, like uh, to say that, oh, Native Americans and, uh, you know, Uh, African Americans have never been on the same page, but I'd like to remind people, for example, and I'll give a bit of context, Uh, there was, there was some uh, Native American nations that did own African slaves, but there was also, um, you know, it was not necessarily slavery as in like in the same form of chattel slavery as, you know, white based slavery. But it was more like indentured servitude and for Mm -hmm. some people it was like you know to replace a dead family member etc all these different things uh and um that doesn't necessarily say that any form of like you know slavery is correct etc but also even when i reflect back on african history one of the main fueling um factors of the slave trade was the fact that there was a lot of tribal wars and these Mm -hmm. tribal wars was because of scarce resources and you know you'd end up kidnapping people uh, because, um, you know, if you win the war, it was tradition almost everywhere on earth to just either take slaves or to kill the captives. So these captives would end up being sold into slavery, not realizing that the white man was literally sitting back while we were killing each other right. and, you know, enslaving each other. And mm-hmm. they were basically just smiling as this was happening. Right. And this is this is the key. And I tell everyone this, things like colorism, um, mm. things like obviously featureism. Mm -hmm. all these different things, you know, all these things that are in history, whether we were against or for each other, we know that if we look back into history, we can just come to a certain conclusion that we need to come together. And it sounds very cringy. It sounds very cliche, but it's it's an actual fact. We need to come together in numbers. And if we really want to take down racism, if we want to take down these things, we must have some form of systemic reform that comes from each one of our communities. And we should not focus on tearing each other down.
2: Right. Right. Mm
0: yeah so is there anything else you wanted to add before we close off today
2: uh no that seems about it uh, that seems about it <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah thank you so much amari uh for your time it's been amazing i've been able to learn so much from you and i think yeah this whole series is extremely interesting especially when we begin to link two different uh, you know, experiences with colonialism. Although they may be radically different, there are things that are similar and there are things that are different. I think this will be able to actually help form better bonds between people, for example, in the diaspora as Africans um, and obviously natives. And I think that I've been able to learn so much more. So thank you so much again. And yeah, thank, um, you. Yeah, thank you like for just coming through, taking your time, etc. I've learned a lot, I'm sure you've learned a bit as well from me. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We'll see you next week.